You're listening to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, September 20th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Breathing easier after last week's apocalyptic air? In the Central Valley, agricultural burning is a prime polluter, and almost 20 years ago, a ban on it became law. The California Report examines the loophole that allows the toxic practice to continue. Speaking of inhaling, new cannabis laws zero in on the impact of high-potency pot. After regional weather, learn how you can avoid falls and their tragic effects. And we get the economic scoop from Gary Zimmerman and Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Millions of L.A. County residents and businesses can resume outdoor watering after news that urgent repairs to a pipeline that brings water from the Colorado River to Southern California have wrapped up early. KCRW's Daryl Satzman fills us in. Communities served by the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California were asked to stop outdoor watering on September 6th as the agency fixed leaks on a 36-mile pipeline that is a key conduit for millions of customers in Long Beach, Glendale, Burbank, Pasadena, and Beverly Hills, among others. And it appears that many people heeded that plea. The MWD says water use in the affected areas dropped by about 30%, that despite the period coinciding with one of the most severe heat spells in years. The pipeline repair was supposed to take 15 days, but the agency says the work was finished ahead of schedule. The resumption of full water deliveries is not a license to run the hose and sprinklers with abandon, of course. California remains in the grip of a withering drought, and officials continue to urge water conservation. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satzman in Los Angeles. Open agricultural burning is a useful tool for farmers, but its high particulate emissions are harmful to San Joaquin Valley residents. Air regulators plan to phase out the practice by 2025, but air quality advocates have doubts after years of inaction. In the second part of KVPR's series, When the Smoke Clears, reporters Carrie Klein and Monica Vaughn explore some of those doubts. I'm Monica. I'm a community engagement reporter in Fresno, and I'd like to introduce you to someone. My name is Norma. I'm a 27-year-old lifelong resident of the Central Valley. Norma Vargas spends a lot of time thinking about breathing. She deals with chronic, severe asthma. You can't breathe in all the way, and you're starting to gasp for air. She grew up in Lindsay, surrounded by orange groves. When those trees grow old and unproductive, farmers burn them to clear their fields. I'm Carrie, a health and science reporter at KVPR, and that burning contributes significantly to the polluted valley air that makes Vargas cough. You could see it from miles away. It's just like a dark thing of smoke. In 2003, the same year she was hospitalized with bronchitis, a state law planned to prohibit ag burning in the name of public health. But here's the thing. The ban never happened. Regulators with the San Joaquin Valley Air District put it off year after year, claiming the costs would be too much for growers. That's one reason why Mark Rose of the National Parks Conservation Association argues the Air District has prioritized agricultural profits over health for decades. They only look at the cost to industry. They don't look at the missed school days or the hospital 
spills and the billions of dollars that it's costing. Catherine Garupa White of the Central Valley Air Quality Coalition also argues the Valley Air District doesn't crack down enough on illegal burning. And so without better enforcement, she has no faith this new plan to phase out burning will be any more successful. Do you believe that that will happen? No, I think that's a nice theory. Let's go back to 2003. That first state law banning ag burning contained one critical loophole. It said the Air District may postpone the ban if alternatives are economically unfeasible to farmers. And that's what the district did. Local regulators requested postponements, and the state air board, which is supposed to provide the guardrails to local air districts, approved six times since 2005. That just blew me away. That's Dean Flores, the former state senator who wrote that law. Our own air board giving a pass to polluters, it was not the right thing to do. He is now a member of that state air board. The Valley Air District argues burn alternatives really weren't feasible at that time. Now, in response to the concerns of residents and advocates, the Air District's Jamie Holt says the agency is working to educate farmers on the alternatives and offer them grants. We understand those concerns and we're focused on getting this done as quickly as possible. She says the agency is committed to public health and is expecting a 70 percent reduction this year on the way to a full ban in 2025. For Norma Vargas, however, 2025 just isn't soon enough. There is concern as to why it took this long when this has been an issue for a long time. Especially when it's communities like hers, rural, majority Latino, and often poor, that have been harmed the most. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein. And I'm Monica Vaughn. This is part of the series When the Smoke Clears, produced with the support of the USC Annenberg Center for Health Journalism Impact Fund. You can find the whole series at kvpr.org. And in other news, Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a package of bills aimed at reforming the state's cannabis regulations. One would make it illegal for employers to discriminate against workers who smoke marijuana while off the job and away from the workplace. Another would seal old cannabis-related convictions. This comes as the governor is directing state officials to study the health impacts of high-potency cannabis. KQED's health correspondent April Domboski explains. Since California legalized recreational marijuana, the concentrations of THC in pot products has gone up. Existing research shows this increases the risk of dependency and mental health problems, including cannabis-induced psychosis and even schizophrenia. Physicians like Lynn Silver are happy the governor is taking an interest in studying this further. I'm looking forward to seeing the research, but I would also say we can't use funding more research as an excuse to not pay attention to the research that we already have. Silver says the state should take regulatory action now by requiring sellers to stock products that have lower concentrations of THC and making sure high-potency products have warning labels. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, 
Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, September 20th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Falls happen to everyone, and taking a tumble can change your life. An event on Thursday in Grass Valley could also change your life by teaching you how to stay safe and prevent falls and their sometimes tragic consequences. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza finds out more from Holly Grimaldi Flores, coordinator for the Nevada County Falls Prevention Coalition. Although it may not be something that many of us think much about, falls are a real threat to our health, especially as we age. In fact, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, falls are the leading cause of both fatal and non-fatal injuries among older adults. One in four adults go to the emergency room each year over the age of 50. And 50 to 64 is about half of that number. And then over 64, it increases. It's incredibly common in the elder population. Things like medication, loss of strength, eyeglasses, and then just common things around the house like people trip over their rugs or they um, don't have anything to hold on to when they get up. In the middle of the night, it's dark, those sorts of things. That's Holly Grimaldi Flores. I'm the Nevada County Falls Prevention Coordinator. She works with the Falls Prevention Coalition of Nevada County, a group of community advocates and professionals whose aim is to reduce the high rate of falls here in Nevada County by educating the public. The most common is hip fractures, but people have broken legs, ankles, arms, um, head injuries, you name it, it happens. Hip fracture seems to be the most debilitating around women, especially after age 65, and it can be life-changing. Many people never return to independent living after a certain age suffered from a fall. This Thursday, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Grass Valley Vets Hall, the Falls Prevention Coalition is holding their annual summit. The summit started about 14 years ago. We missed a couple of years because of the COVID pandemic, of course. But the reason for having it is the coalition's core mission is to educate the public and help people prevent falling. It's important because one in four adults over age 64 fall each year, and it heavily impacts our medical system, emergency rooms, first responders, and also it's a cost to the county for those who can not pay for those sorts of things. It can be life-changing, even debilitating. The day will include a lot of information about what to do before you fall, ways to prevent falling, things you can do around your house to minimize some of the risk of falling, and then what to do when you fall because literally everyone does, and then what to do after the fall. So how to fall, how to prevent falls, and then what to expect if you do suffer a fall. The event is sponsored by Interim Healthcare, Escaton, and Freed, and they've even worked out transportation. If you don't have the ability to drive the uh, Gold Country Transit, which is now Nevada County Connects, is offering free transit to the Vets Hall on their routes on Thursday. That was Holly Grimaldi Flores of the Nevada County Falls Prevention Coalition. Their free annual Falls Prevention Summit takes place Thursday, September 22nd at the Grass Valley Vets Hall.
You can find more information and register for the event at supportsierranevada.org slash event. Turning to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality from purpleair.com. Unseasonably cool temperatures continue through Wednesday. This afternoon, the air quality throughout the entire region has been satisfactory. A flash flood watch for the Mosquito Fire burn scar remains in effect through this evening. Warm, sunny days return Thursday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be mostly cloudy with patchy fog, a chance of showers and thunderstorms, and a low around 49. On Wednesday, showers are likely and thunderstorms are possible. Otherwise, it will be partly sunny with a high near 66. Expect patchy fog Wednesday evening. Otherwise, it will be mostly clear with a low around 47. The forecast for tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, isolated showers and thunderstorms with the snow level lowering to 8,500 feet after midnight. The low temperature will be in the mid-30s. Wednesday, expect scattered showers and thunderstorms with snow levels down to 8,300 feet and a high temperature near 53. Wednesday night, we'll see areas of freezing fog and a low around 30 degrees. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland, will be mostly cloudy with a chance of showers and thunderstorms and a low around 60. Showers are possible Wednesday, but generally it will be partly sunny with a high near 76. Wednesday evening will be mostly clear with a low around 57. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. When it comes to the economy, all eyes are on the Federal Reserve this week as policymakers meet and, on Wednesday, reveal their decisions. Could it mean more supersize raises in interest rates as the Fed works to cool inflation? Economist Gary Zimmerman looks into his crystal ball, with KVMR's Paul Emery peering over his shoulder. We have all sorts of economic news to think about, including interest rates, inflation, jobs, and economic growth. Uh, where do we start? Uh, perhaps the most important news this week comes from the Federal Reserve policymakers meeting. The Fed will announce their interest rate decisions after the meeting on Wednesday. So I, I will certainly want to listen to Fed Chair Jay Powell's press conference. Uh, after the meeting for information about sort of the key economic factors and risks that the policymakers base their decision on this month. What are you expecting the Fed to do with interest rates on Wednesday? Will they leave the, the their overnight target interest rates the same, or do you think there might be a chance that they may raise the interest rates again? Well, I strongly expect that the Fed will continue to raise the overnight federal funds target interest rate this week, and the financial markets are expecting that as well. Um, and I expect the Fed will most likely raise their target interest rate by another large increase by historic standards, or as it was described recently, by a supersized increase. What was the uh, interest rate target before the meeting, and what do you expect the new target rate to be after this meeting? The Fed's target overnight interest rate was at a range of uh, two and a quarter to two and a half percent before the meeting. And that's a rate that's about neutral with respect to either speeding up the economy or slowing down the economy. 
I expect it'll be moved up three quarters of a percent uh, to a range of three percent to three and a quarter. And that will put more pressure on slowing down the economy. Okay, one more question, Gary. How quickly might the Fed actions affect the economy? When, tomorrow, next month, next quarter, next year? What does that look like? <laughs> Excellent question, Paul. The, the Fed and other central banks are, you know, obviously are concerned because inflation has not subsided. And the longer it remains high, the more likely it is to become a longer-term problem. Um, however, it's important to remember that, you know, interest rate changes implemented by the Fed take time to work their way through the economy. And the Fed only started raising interest rates, the short-term interest rate, in March, just you know, six months ago. Um, and monetary policy takes a while, and certainly six months is you know in that realm. Um, so you know, while we have higher rent interest rates um, will quickly impact the financial markets, those increases take time to spread throughout the economy. You know, the economy is not instantaneous, so higher interest rates will influence business and consumer decisions, and then actual consumer spending and business investment and housing markets will be um, impacted. And then, you know, eventually that will work their way through to the overall economy in terms of inflation, unemployment, economic growth, or, or a shrinkage or a recession. Um, and that takes time. And so, you know, remember that also that the Fed's primary tool for boosting or slowing the economy is, you know, just interest rates. And that's the, the primarily one, the one that they're using right now. Well, Gary, uh, thanks a lot for the um, interesting news. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. If you've ever been tempted to buy into the rental market as a can't-miss investment, today's Money Matters is for you. Mark Cuniberti explains how, with a stock rental portfolio, you can possibly count on something like a regular rent check without the many hassles of being a landlord. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cuniberti. Many investors love rentals. More millionaires have been made from real estate than any other asset class. When I ask investors about what they like about rental properties, the obvious answer given is the rent checks. Then asked if they care if the property drops in value, they usually answer no, as long as they get their rent checks. There is a similar opportunity in the stock market, and without some of the headaches real properties have, such as having to deal with tenants, late rents, rent moratoriums, leaky roofs, insurance, liability exposure, and hefty commission when one decides to sell a property. Add in property taxes and possible tax assessments and the hassles become pretty obvious. An option is what I call a stock rental portfolio, which can pay just like a rental but with some definite advantages using dividend-paying stocks. Dividends are payments by companies whose stocks you own. Dividends can be cut, eliminated, or increased at the whim of the board of directors, but there are many reasons why they would not want to do that. The members of the board probably have stock themselves, so if you get a dividend, so would they. Tax rates on dividends can also be less than tax on 
regular income. So in lieu of having a big salary, some VPs might opt instead for lots of stock, reap the dividends, and possibly pay less in tax. A group of stocks called aristocrats have not only paid dividends for more than a quarter of a century or more, but have increased them every year for the same amount of time or more, and that's a requirement to make the aristocratic dividend list. Some have paid dividends and increased them every year for over 50 years, and some even longer. How many landlords out there can say they can increase their rent to their tenants every year? Probably not many. But aristocrat stocks, by definition, have to in order to remain on the aristocratic list paid dividends for more than 25 years and increase them for that amount of time and more. Therefore, the board of directors has every incentive to maintain the record of increases to remain on the aristocratic list. The board also knows, should they break the streak of increases, their stock would likely get punished, as not increasing the dividend may mean there are financial issues preventing them from doing so, not to mention angering stockholders who expect annual increases. With a dividend portfolio, there are no tenants, no property tax, no maintenance costs, no vacancies, and no huge sales commissions when you have to sell the thing. There are also no long wait times to liquidate, like waiting for a buyer or a long escrow to cash out. Stocks can be sold usually in microseconds when the markets are open. Can the stocks drop in price? Well, of course they can. But remember, landlords tell me they don't really care if the rental drops in price as long as they get their rent checks. So if stocks drop, but the aristocrats keep their history of paying dividends intact and increasing them every year to boot, you will still get your rent checks. With the advent of the rent moratorium, inflation pushing maintenance and insurance costs up, taxes going up, more wildfires, increasing mortgage rates, memories of the 08 housing crash, and more consumers struggling due to inflation, the threats to landlords and their financial stability is on the increase. With the possibility of lower tax rates on income through dividends, however, essentially zero commissions to buy or sell these stocks using the discount brokers who offer commission free trades, zero property taxes, no tenant problems such as midnight calls or unpaid rents, instant liquidity, and no maintenance costs. There's a lot to like about a stock rental portfolio. In conclusion, I used to be a landlord and love the rent checks, but as time wore on and the hassles of the rental properties and their tenants increased, I sold all my properties and instead now hold an aristocratic dividend-paying stock portfolio. Should the board of directors of these companies elect to stay on the aristocratic list, and they have every incentive to, I will continue to get higher and higher payments every year without all the threats to my financial picture as rental properties can expose me to, and indeed without all the problems and landlords stress as well. I'm watching the markets so you don't have to. This newscast expresses my opinion only and not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any securities, nor represents the opinion of this radio station its staff members or underwriters. Dividends can be cut or eliminated at any time, as I mentioned, and do not guarantee against stock losses. I hold a BA in Economics with Honors 1979 and California Insurance License OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kunaberg. That's our newscast. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering the beauty and color of fall for arts and crafts, 
home decor, school projects, knitting. Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley. Online at benfranklin-crafts.com. And Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse. Locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. Stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5, K-A-R-M-E-N-S-Garden.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday evening at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.